Hi there, my name's Andy McGregor and I wrote, composed and directed the stage show of Crocodile Rock. I also mixed a podcast, which I'm sure you'll agree was brilliantly performed by Stephen Arden, Kim Shepard, Simon Donaldson and the fantastic MD Andy Manning. So I thought I'd chat about the show and give you some context as to where it came from and a little insight into how it was made. But before I go any further, I wouldn't recommend listening to this unless you've seen the show or have listened to the podcast. Otherwise, it'll not make any sense at all and it's just filled with spoilers. So the first question that always get asked by people after they've seen the show is if it's based on a true story. Which I like because it means that clearly people feel some authenticity in the show. But, alas, the answer to the question is nah. Crocodile Rock is a concoction of my own upbringing in the seaside town of Largs in the 90s, mixed up with experiences that the actor Darren Brownlee told me, and some very important input from our dramaturg, which is, I don't actually think that's a real word, but anyway, our dramaturg, it's kind of like an editor, eh, Johnny McKnight. And of course, there's a whole bunch of fiction thrown in there too. So I'm straight, and I was more than aware when I started writing this story that I was going to have to talk to Darren and Johnny, who are both gay men, and listen to their stories and then mesh that with my own understanding of what it was like to grow up in small-town Scotland. And though it's a coming-out story, I don't really think that's what I was particularly going for. Of course, everyone takes different things from, from shows. But for me, and the MD Andy and I spoke about this as well, that the character Stephen could really have been totally into maths, or like Dungeons and Dragons obsessive, or anything really that made them different to the norm, whatever that is. That's what my main focus was for this show. So anyway, the whole thing started after I had a big success at Oren Moore's Play Pine a Pint with my show Spuds. Now Oren Moore is a nice pub in an old church in Glasgow's leafy west end, and every lunchtime down in what is the nightclub, which I think is the, like, the old crypt or whatever, they have a new play on. And the audience also get a wee pie and a drink of their choosing. It's been running for years and has produced like well over 500 new plays. So my show Spuds, in a very strange way, seemed to connect with the audience there, despite its kind of weird central theme. It's about a man who discovers if he mixes chips with iron brew, he can create a new wonder drug. A chip as orange as the sun. I told you it was weird. A mug that had only just begun to grow And a spell like nothing he ever smelt It was glorious It made him feel at So much to my astonishment, eh, Spud's got a fistful of five-star reviews. Um, Breaking Bad by a Glasgow accent, one paper quipped. Eh, and the reason I'm talking about Spud's is because at the heart of its appeal was an amazingly funny performance by Darren Brownlee. He played Tony Mascarpone, the chip shop owner, and he was very funny indeed. I That's just a wee snippet from a live performance at Audemore, and you can hear how much the audience enjoy it. 
So because Spuds had gone so well and Darren had gone down so well, the artistic directors at uh, Play Pine of Pine asked me if I'd be interested in writing a one-man show for Darren. Now, I jumped at the chance. And I think they were expecting, and I know that Darren was, a similar show to Spuds, all nonsense and funny faces. But I knew that Darren had the dramatic acting chops to go with the comedy ones. And I'm always looking for a challenge for myself. So I decided to write something that would show off the full range of his skills. It would also be set in a world, time and place that we both really understood. Right at the start of my career, I'd been working with the playwright Max May, trying to turn his excellent play Love in the Past Participle into a musical. We failed in that regard, but we were keen to write something, and we heard that Glasgow, which is a now-defunct festival for queer arts here in Glasgow, where they were looking for material. We came up with a threadbare idea called something like how to gut fish in tights or something uh, about the son of a fisherman who was into wearing traditionally female clothes. I pitched the idea to Glasgow and then all my emails thereafter were ignored, so it goes. But the basic premise stuck with me. And so I came back to the vague notion of the idea and started to flesh it out. I did lots of research, read about coming out stories, watched lots of drag and started to flesh out the story. I was looking for a character's name, so I asked Darren who he fancied at school and he immediately replied, Henry Thomas. I thought it was some random kid from Paisley. It wasn't until about halfway through rehearsal that Darren mentioned it was actually uh, the actor in E.T. So there you go. The image I have of Henry Thomas is very different to Darren's. So at Oramore, you only get two weeks rehearsal, and the show also has to be under an hour. So we worked hard for two weeks alongside the musical director, Gavin Whitworth. A lot of Gavin's music is still in the show, and if you're listening to the podcast, you'll have heard a lot of his work there. So in the end, the original show went very well. It had a number of important story clarifications missing, and there was a song that I hated more than anything that I've ever written. But you always get that at Play Pine of Pine because it's so quick and it's messy and you can kind of reveal a gold nugget, but it's not quite the final polished ring. We'd also been selected to be part of a collection of Oramore plays to be filmed for the BBC. This was very exciting. And that version of Crocodile Rock lives on. It randomly appears on BBC Scotland in the middle of the night and then is on the iPlayer. So you might see that pop up at some point. I knew that there was more of the story that I wanted to discover and I also wanted to rewrite that awful song that I hate. So when I saw that Cumbernauld Theatre were looking for a musical to perform in their new theatre, I jumped at that chance. There was this wee thing called Covid, I don't know if you heard of it, but it kind of got in the way. But finally, after many years, we were ready to get started. I did some development sessions with young people uh, through a group called Sanctuary Queer Arts which resulted in the song Shame being written. Why is this me? Oh, I didn't write the rules of this game. And now, all I'm feeling is shame. It was a theme that kept on coming up time and time again when I was researching this show. That feeling as though you're betraying your family, friends and yourself when you're coming out or you're discovering that you're gay. So I felt it was important to get that in there. And I think the song kind of really works well theatrically. We have Stephen sitting in a toilet on his own in a stranger's house. And I finally got a chance to get rid of the song I hated, which was called Free and Easy. It was kind of like a Cole Porter sort of number. I think I was going for a sunny side of the street sort of thing. I get shivers thinking about its awfulness. But anyway, I wrote a pop song instead uh, called Queen of the Island to replace that song. 
And it's weird because that has now become a central piece to the show. I can't imagine the show without that song. It's a real transition in sound and in feeling and that I think con connects perfectly to how the character is feeling. Here's a wee idea of how it sounded the day I wrote it. I step outside and it's a cold and it's a frosty morning But that won't bother me, I'm living a new life I say hello to some old guy who's out with his dog walking He looks at me like he can't believe his eyes I, I think years of working in youth theatre means that I always write songs way too high for a male voice. It's a, a little bugbear I think that actors have when they work with me. Anyway, that was where that song was sitting uh, for me when I first made it. It then obviously turned into quite a big poppy number and the lighting that Grant Anderson did for our production, uh, Cumbernauld and also the tour, was spectacular at that point. The other important new addition was a song called Somebody Like Me. Somebody explained the idea of drag to Stephen. This is important to me because the first time around it felt like the story could be about drag or it could be a trans story. It wasn't really looked at what Vigenti was like and what Stephen gets into so that song solidified that for me. Uh, Darren was also very keen to bring a song back that we had cut from Modern War because the show was running too long. It's just a wee thing that Stephen sings to his dad at the end but it's nice and has an unexpected chord progression which makes me happy. So I had a bunch of new material, we reworked some old material, we also had the brilliant Kenny Miller in designing a fantastic set. You can go to sleepingwarriorteatre.com to see the photos of it. And as I say, Grant Anderson lit it beautifully. We also had Andy Manning come in as MD and beefed up their role a fair bit. Dara Stewart was brought in as a second musician and added Cajon, double bass and guitar. One of the biggest changes we wanted to make, now we had the budget, was for Stephen to really become a drag queen. So Kenny designed an original dress for Darren to wear as Miss Millie Port, and I wrote a very cheesy Europop tune for the end. It was really the perfect move to end the story on such a high note. One thing that we found challenging was how to make Stephen be ready in time without a massive weight as he changed into Millie Port. So to do this, we ended up changing things quite a lot from the Order More show. He was now going to get dressed into what we lovingly refer to as the crap drag on stage, and he was going to apply more makeup on stage too. Then we discovered magnetic eyelashes, which allowed the actor to put on eyeliner and then when they left the stage, they could instantly stick on these magnetic eyelashes. It's like something from the future. I think this was the real success in the show for me. Watching an actor in a tracksuit at the start slowly become this drag queen bit by bit and not having it hidden in a quick change or in a blackout, that really was the key to all. I was kind of worried as a director, like, oh, well, the audience want to watch this guy putting makeup on his face for, you know, a good few minutes. But I think with the music playing and the, the lighting changing, there was something that just actually really, really drew the audience in. You could feel the audience kind of leaning forward, which is always a nice feeling. So then I had secured money through Creative Scotland to tour the show with my, my theatre company, uh, Sleeping Warrior, and also with Cumbernauld Theatre and the Beacon Arts Centre. But lo and behold, our man Darren got a job on the Scottish soap opera River City. So he was out. Now, this is a very, very challenging role. You have to be a singer, a dancer, and, and a fantastic actor. And you have to be really confident enough to chat to an audience for an hour and 15 minutes. And thankfully, we found Stephen Arden to replace Darren. And that's who you listen to if you listen to the podcast. That was Stephen that was performing. And it was fascinating for me working with a different actor. 
The songs were the same and so were the lines, but the show felt very different. Because every actor brings a little bit of themselves to the role. It was really interesting for me to see what Stephen decided to do with it. At first I had to be careful not to kind of say, oh no, no, Darren did it like that, oh no, this is, no, we do it like this, and just let him find it himself. I didn't change too much of the show from the Cumberland version. I crazily decided to make it alongside another musical of mine, A New Life, which is a three-hander, so that meant I had two spare actors to use. Uh, so I hired Simon, who's a fantastic actor, but also a brilliant guitar player, and then Kim, who would be the lead in the other show, and she learned to play the cajon for Crocodile Rock and provided some spine-tingling backing vocals. And this extra boost of having three members in the bands, who had Andy, Simon and Kim, it really worked, and the relationship between Stephen and the band got even stronger, which was very nice. Uh, Kenny, designer, also gave them the campus costumes, I think, that have ever been seen in Scottish theatre. So that's our show. It's had a number of lives and it's had input from all sorts of wonderful people, from stage managers to sound engineers to artistic directors. And I hope this isn't the end of the road for Stephen McPhail and that hopefully we'll be back out in theatres somewhere at some point. Thanks for listening. <laughs>